want your kids back in school safe? Here's what you can do to help that happen. Our goal is to open the doors in September. And the more every individual can do to stay safe, and that's follow the social distancing, face mask, the hand hygiene, do those things. It's gonna come down to individual responsibility and individual mind mindfulness. Hi, I'm Kate Rice with Monroe County Matters, and that was Dr. Amy Van Duren, superintendent of the Sparta Area School District. She's gonna talk about the preparations, plans, and contingency plans going into getting Sparta schools ready for the upcoming school year. It's history in the making. So please listen, not only to find out what your school district is doing, but what you can do to help. And please share this with your friends because we're all in this together. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview because I, everybody wants to know what's gonna happen with school. I think you have a caveat to start out with what everybody needs to remember about planning for school this year. That is everything is subject to change. So our best laid plans, that's, that's one of the challenges actually of uh, planning is that we can't just develop one plan. We have to develop multiple plans because we may be in person, we may be virtual, we may be a blend of the two throughout the year and individual students or groups of students may have to be out of school for an extended period of time if they're in quarantine or isolation. So we know it's going to continue to be a very fluid situation for uh, most of the school year. Do you want to just go through what, what the ideal situation is? Well, the ideal, during situation, COVID. the ideal situation would to have, be to have all of our students in all of our buildings every day. Realizing that that could be a challenge, our plans are right now to have pre-K-8 in building every day, and then 9-12 have half of the students in the building for two days and then the other half of the students in the building for the other two days and use the middle of the week and a Wednesday to deep clean and let the building rest, so to speak. The rationale is that in 9-12, our students move a little bit more. And if we can keep the same students in for two days, then that sort of keeps the same people pool in the same spaces for the longest period of time before we do a deep clean. We would deep clean every day, but that different kind of deep clean. And then another group of students comes in versus having students every other day and risking having germs linger. Right, exactly. Okay. And, and the students that get in, the, the pre-K-8, one of the reasons we can do that is because those students are fairly self-contained in their classrooms. They don't move from class to class like they do in the older grades. And right. one of the things that's going to determine our capacity is our ability to limit movement of everyone, staff and students. Right. And what about spacing? Does the space play into keeping students in their discrete pods? It does make a difference. We had guidance that said that we could have students in a high level, which was what we're at now on the COVID compass, between 15 and 30, depending on uh, the square footage of the room. We may be getting guidance that limits that number as we move forward, but that's to be seen. So the size right. of the space does matter. We know that we need to keep that bubble around each person, and we want all desks facing forward, 
For example, the teacher's desk, they're recommending that it be put in back of the room so that everyone is facing the same direction. So there's just going to be some very oh. different, different looks about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. A lot of the furniture. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's going to look different. When you were talking at the Kiwanis club meeting, you've got different spaces available in different buildings mm-hmm. and you don't have to go through every single building, but maybe if you want to use, I think maybe the middle school was one example you talked about how buildings layout can help you have more students in school. Yeah. Well, I'll actually refer you to Herman elementary first. Uh, And in addition to the classroom spaces, every six classrooms is centered around a large resource area. And that resource area provides extra square footage that we can use to space students out. There are also art rooms, music rooms, there's a commons area, there's a double-sized gymnasium and a multi-purpose room. So there are other spaces and a, a learning media center that can be learning spaces for students that are, we can spread them out more easily. Yeah. yeah. And in the middle school, we've reduced a grade level. So there are four grades instead of five at the middle school, which will help ease some of the congestion. And we have a large uh, cafeteria space and common space in in that school as well. Cool. How fortunate. (laughs) Now, one thing you talked about is face mask policies. Like you can, mandate that teachers wear face masks. But what about kids? I mean, what's the guidance and what's the practicality of it? The guidance we have at this time is that students over the age of six should be wearing face masks. We are recommending to the Board of Education that they approve a policy that says students in first grade and above will wear the face masks absent physical or other medical I, IEP specific reason, not just I don't want to wear one. The bottom line is our ability to stay open is going to be hinged on our ability to implement these mitigation policies well and to be able to contact trace if and when we have a case. And the better we do with the mitigation pieces, the more targeted our contract contact tracers can be when they do the tracing. In other words, if we have a classroom that's following the distancing, people are staying where they're supposed to stay, facing where they're supposed to face, wear the face masks, follow the protocols, then if a student in that classroom gets COVID, maybe everybody in that classroom doesn't automatically have to go on quarantine. We can do the contact tracing and follow the rules, and maybe there's a handful of students around that student that may have to quarantine. So all of these things are being done so that we can keep kids in school learning in our buildings as much as possible. Great. Great. Singing my song. Now, just moving on to transportation. How's that going to work? Yep. That's, that is definitely one of our pinch points and one of our challenges. We have a long, narrow school district, and out of roughly 3,100 students, We had ridership of about 2,100 students last year on the bus. Wow. uh, Two-thirds. Two-thirds. The year before that, we had 1,500, so our ridership has actually gone up. So there's a lot of families that depend on the buses to get to and from school. The recommendations are anywhere from 12 to 24 students per bus. And in discussion with other districts, 
we we understand that that's we don't have the actual physical buses, the drivers, the resources to maintain those kinds of low numbers. So we are working out protocols to keep those numbers as reasonable as possible. Families that would prefer or can drive their children to school are encouraged to do so. We are looking at implementing as many policies, as many practices, mitigation practices on the bus also. That includes assigned seating, face mask, sanitize your hands when you get off, sanitize the touch surfaces. So there'll be a process for every piece of the day and every movement to make sure that we're doing it as safely as we can. That being said, one of the things that we probably will not accomplish is an ideal student to bus ratio. That's just the reality. Yeah. That's the reality. Moving on, you talked a little bit about use of devices, Mm -hmm. what kids can use. Mm -hmm. How does COVID affect that? Well, the, the, Prior to COVID, we were really discouraging the use of technology for our youngest students, our pre-KK, four, five, six-year-olds, right? Except Mm -hmm. for very limited times to introduce, and limited, I mean, 15 to 20 minutes a week. Just enough to sort of, you know, get get the feet in the water. So what we found out with COVID, especially for our youngest students, is that those devices ended up being the window to the classroom. Our teachers were able to, our pre-K teachers in particular, did a marvelous job of, of using the virtual teleconferencing to enable students to see and hear their teacher and each other. There were Zoom meetings going on and the kids would all be on and they'd be raising their hand just like they would in a normal classroom. So what we found is that that digital device bridges some gaps for our very youngest students that allow them to connect. So we went ahead and ensured that we're able to be one-to-one for all of our students. The other piece of that is, is that for students that are learning and building, there is no sharing of materials. Passing an iPad back and forth from a student to another, that's, that's can't happen. Not happening. Exactly. Yeah. So regardless of whether a student is learning virtually or in the building, they're going to need that device. With the one-to-one with devices, do, do you have any programs if people, A, don't have a computer at home, or B, does everybody have good internet service in the school that's, district? That's a, that's a great question, and, and that's been a struggle for a, a number of our families. Everybody gets the device. Whether or not a student or a family has a computer at home is not a barrier to getting the access. The barrier comes, and it comes in, in a couple of places. It's whether or not families can afford the access and whether it can be, have, have good internet access, well they can get the access to begin with our yeah. ge- geography that makes this such a beautiful and wonderful place to live can sometimes make it a challenging place to uh, get the technology to work so even if you you have the means to get the best internet the best internet may not be coming to you so what we're finding and and i've talked to our local legislators, is that they think our our best bet for getting additional internet capacity, broadband capacity, is to to look at the smaller companies versus the larger companies. But those are bigger ongoing infrastructure. Yeah, that's not going to be solved in the, you know, before September 1st. Yeah. So we have, have, well, we do have hotspots that we 
have checked out kids or families. We also installed exterior internet service on a number of our buildings. So the New Herman Elementary, Cataract, Meadowview Middle School, and the high school, I believe, all have exterior internet service. So somebody can pull us. I mean, okay. it's not ideal, but they but, can access the internet from outside of the building in the parking yeah. lot. And that's better than nothing. And that's, that is something we can do. Well, that's, that, hey, it's a solution. It's, you kind of see to the pants, but you got to do what you got to do. Well, and um, one, of so, things, one of the things that's a, a recommendation is to take the classes outside as much as possible. Yeah. So, Which, I mean, some years you can do that into November, some years, some exactly. years not. But, so, yeah. that outside <laughs> internet, not only for the parking lot, but to be able to take classes outside. Yeah. Wonderful. Who knows, who knows what this is going to spawn for future educators in a good way, I hope. So you talked a little bit about the cleaning schedule, but one thing you talked about, which with were HVAC filters, how to mm-hmm. handle that with the schools. Mm-hmm. We are looking at a number of solutions <clears throat> from UVC lighting, germ oh. things you install near the air handlers. And some of our newer facilities, we can do that. Some, that's not going to be practical. So we're looking at other filters and ventilation. Uh, we're looking at uh-huh. simple measures, including they're recommending keeping doors open in classrooms, our interior doors, sure. wherever possible, and just mm-hmm. keeping that air moving. So we're looking at all of those things. Great. And then how are you going to work lunch? Well, lunch, as far as we know, we're planning on having it served mostly in classrooms. Okay. So, okay. And that's one of the okay. things where we're we know we're going to need extra help. So that's one of the things we're looking at is to have people for for lack of a better word, I'd, I'd say floaters, people that can fill in where we need because some of this stuff you don't know how it's going to work till you actually do it. You know, and, and the best yeah. laid plans are going to need some tweaking. So we find out we need, it's like, it's like any recipe, right? You need a little more pepper, a little less salt. You need yep, a little more exactly. of this, a little more of that. More of these, fewer of these. But so we're, we're getting every day and every week that goes by, we get a better and better idea of, okay, so we're sure we're going to need this because you don't want to mm-hmm. spend resources on things that you may not need, but you got to have what you got to have, right? So planning right. for this, this flexible to be able to change modalities has been a real challenge and we have to be yeah. ready for all of it. Some grad student is going to be looking at all this in a, in a few years. I think it's fascinating the well, way you're the I, I navigating with, this. Yeah. I work with Edgewood college and I have a couple of doctoral students right now that I'm advising and this has yeah. already been woven into some existing dissertation projects. I bet. So you talked to, about the need for additional staff. What about for the school nurse? That's one of the key pieces that we're going to need to, I'm, I'm thinking, be right. that's not the, not the right, general yeah. way, but, but you know, we need more. We're looking at a minimum of two per building and it may be more. And that's with our looking mm-hmm. at aides and then we're looking at potential temporary help from some retired nurses to help with the training. Yeah. Everybody's going to have to yeah. learn new ways of doing things. Again, totally fascinating. So what about after school and extracurricular activities? Well, right now, the COVID compass, which is what we're following, isn't high. There are guidelines for that. Our show choir and our football team have submitted plans 
for some initial types of fitness or, you know, sort of getting into the swing of things that meet all the criteria mm-hmm. that's a, that involves groups of less than 10 with an adult. Those groups don't change. They check temperatures and do this whole check-in process. They're going to social distance outside only. Our show choir, no singing. They're just going to work their dance routines. So there's this whole protocol mm. that they're going to try and we're going to keep a close, close eye on it and see how it it works in real life. Again, you know, the, the ability of us to do these things really has to do with every individual's cooperation with being significantly inconvenienced. And there's just no other way to say it, you know? Um, it's not... Now, will they be wearing face normal. masks? Yes. Yes, they will. They will be. The yeah. Show- so after school and sports is very much a work in progress. Very much EIAA has given us some guidelines that start some sports on August 17th and others not until September 7th. We are awaiting our COVID guidelines too. We are also looking at how school kind of functions and works and what that means for our co-curriculars and our clubs and how can Mm -hmm. they function because our students still need that connection to something outside peer academics. It is such an important piece of school, especially at the middle and high school level to really start exploring areas and putting all of those uh, foundational or core subject skill sets together in different ways to discover career paths. And we don't want to lose that along the way. And we don't want to lose the development of talent. Oh, one thing I'm bouncing back a little bit. I forgot to ask. So I think you're going to give some students an option to go virtual the whole way. Can you explain how that works? Well, we're actually sending out the registration form this week. We're uh, developing a virtual option. And that virtual option is really designed to work alongside the in-building option. It's not a separate curriculum. It's not a separate, it's, it's embedded. It's a different way to get the same education. Truly the parallel experience is what we're going for. So there are, okay. there are companies, there's virtual schools, and then there are companies, K-12 Fuel Ed, that provide curriculum and everything from curriculum to teachers to, you know, the, the whole package, right? And we have used some of that in the past and we'll continue to do so this year, primarily to fill under-enrolled, hard-to-fill classes that specific students need. So if there's an AP course that we have three students signed up for, but it's really important for their future that they get it, we can use that fuel ad or that online third-party service to provide that curriculum. The AP curriculum is very prescriptive, so it tends to work pretty well. That's not what we're looking at for the virtual school, although we may end up using some of those resources depending on demand. But the idea is that these are taught, especially at the younger grades, by our staff so that our students have right. teachers. Right. But yeah. either way, they do, especially with the one... You're the ones taught by the Sparta School District staff. Mm-hmm. They'll be very much the same education. It's just a different media or different channel. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it'll be the same. Okay, cool. Finally, it sounds like you're really working very closely with the county health department. Who are all the entities <laughs> who you're working with? Or not even working with, it's more using them as resources. 
weekly with Monroe County Health, with the Wisconsin Association of School District Administrators, the soups throughout the state are definitely tight and we are talking to either the deputy superintendent or one of our very excellent law firms in the state that does education law and we're parsing and picking apart and making sure we've got our ducks in order and we're up to speed. That goes with our business office folks, our student services folks, our instructional folks, and our buildings and grounds and safety folks. So there's there's just a lot of collaboration going on throughout the state. Our region, CESA 4, the superintendents from that group meet every week uh, to look at things in our area. Mm-hmm. At COVID Compass, nine of our local counties have uh, signed on to that COVID Compass so that we are all moving roughly the same direction. And, you know, it's, yeah, this is, we're all trying to serve the students in our district as best we can. So that's, we're all pretty much working together because everyone's in the same boat. Wonderful. I mean, that way you're working together. Now, those are all my questions. Was there anything that I didn't ask you about that you think that you wanted to add? Oh, my. You know, it's a work in progress. Be patient. We're working as hard as we can. I mean, this has been the unsummer, right? Which is, which is fine. But our goal, I, I guess the one thing I would say is that our goal is to open the doors in September. And the more every individual can do to stay safe, and that's follow the social distancing, face mask, the hand hygiene, do those things. And if everybody does them, our chances of having a fall with in-building learning are so much better. So I guess, Great. and I don't know if you want to share this or not in your podcast, but you go on the interstate, if you look on the interstate going north and south on the weekends, for a while it looked pretty sparse. And by the 4th of July, it was back up to the same travel levels that we've always seen, right? Mm-hmm. And we're seeing the numbers in cases increase. So it's going to come down to individual responsibility and individual mind, mindfulness. Oh man, I want to make you a nationwide public service announcement. <laughs> this is that. a disease that can and will be spread by each and every one of us. You don't, you don't know. But Amy. In the fall, so stay home. <laughs> Wait, say that again? I want to open in the fall, so stay home. <laughs> yeah. For me, face masks are now accessories. Just which one goes with which outfit. You got it. Amy, you were fabulous. You were fabulous when I listened to you do your Kiwanis presentation. This was fabulous. I want to thank you so much for taking the time because you're busy. So thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to have this conversation and to share it with the wider audience. Well, this has been another by the City Your Pants production. Theme music by Peter Danilovitz. Take care. <laughs>